0: For more details, please check out our website, www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good morning. It's a privilege for me to be here. I always enjoy preaching at Heritage. Uh, You guys are, are like my church, and I enjoy fellowshipping with you, especially around God's Word. I bring greetings from Brackeners Baptist Church and uh, just let you know that we pray for you guys regularly because I assume that you need as much prayer as we do and we do that with joy and I love seeing a big building and a filled up building and that's what we pray for this area of Johannesburg. So I hope I'll be a blessing to you as you guys are a blessing to me. I'll encourage you to turn to 1st Peter. We'll look at 1st Peter 3 verses 8 to 12. 1st Peter uh, 3 verses 8 to 12. I know you have not enjoyed the journey through 1st Peter as our church, but uh, we start off with 1st Peter 3. So just a a quick background. 1st Peter is all about suffering. Uh, Peter writing to the churches in the dispersion saying that the suffering is real. The real suffering of being persecuted for God's sake, for Christ's name. But he says, to endure the suffering, you need to find your identity in Christ alone. And that is how you're going to endure it. So that's a snapshot of First Peter. But let's read First Peter 3, verses 8-12. to It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let us pray. Our glorious God, it is good for us to be here today. It is good because you deserve all glory and honor. It is good for us to be here to hear your word preached. It's good for us to be here, to be be sanctified, to be made holy, and to be equipped as children of You. Lord, we pray that You would help us through the aid of Your Holy Spirit to equip us to hear, turn our ears into eyes, that when we hear Christ, that we would see Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once, uh, an old story of an old man. He was very sick, lying on, on his bed. As dying, he turned to his four sons. They were always. It is on. Uh, the, oh, there we go. <laughs> wow. He turned to his four sons. Uh, there was always fighting, and he tells them, "Sons, how am I going to let you stop with your fighting?" And they ignored him and went out of his roof. A couple of weeks later, he calls them back in. And he had a, a bunch of, of twigs tied together. A big bunch of twigs. And he calls, called the, the firstborn, the oldest son. And he says, son, here you go. Try and break that. And his son was strong. He's trying to break it. And he just can't break all the twigs. Calls up his second son. Says, son, why don't you try? Second son thought, oh, I'm stronger than my oldest brother. And he's a, And nothing happens. Third son comes up. Tries to break the bunch of twigs and it just would not break. And the youngest son, he's just laughing at his older, older brothers and going, oh, you fools. Come here, let me show you. And he picks up the bunch of twigs and he pulls one out, breaks it. Pulls another one out, breaks it. Pulls another one out and breaks it so he keeps on until the whole bunch of twigs were broken. And the dad started laughing then. And he said, brothers, that is exactly what I want to teach you. If you stand together, you cannot be broken. But as you fight and you don't have unity, it's exactly like the youngest brother. Pulling out one twig after another and break you. And that is exactly what Peter is writing here about. He's saying, family, unity is the source of strength through suffering. Unity is the source of strength through suffering. When you are all sticking together as one body, as Christ has called you, you cannot be broken through suffering. And I would like for us to look at these three characteristics of unity within the gospel community this morning. And the first characteristic is the preparation for unity. In verse 8, be one and stand firm. Peter, starting with verse 8, says, finally. Here's the final word. Now, it's not the final word of the book. We know that because there are two more chapters following chapter 3. But he is saying, finally, this is my final word on unity, on mutual submission. So chapter 3 started with submitting yourself to the government. Then secondly, submitting yourself to a a bad boss, a, a rhino of a boss. And then third of all, you need to submit to an ungodly bulldog of a spouse. Now he says, Church, how do we preserve ourselves? How do we pursue unity and submission in those three contexts? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is to preserve unity within the body. That is what Peter is writing about. He says, Because we need the strength to live, those thre- live through those three things a government, a boss, And a spouse. We need to have unity right here. Because in this family. We can strengthen one another. We can encourage one another. This is the place where you should feel safe. And the way to do this is through brotherly and sisterly love. In other words. Sympathy. A tender heart. And a humble mind. All points to love. That's what he says in verse 8. You need to pursue these things. Because you love. In verse 8, Peter is driving the thought of love towards one another. It's because I love Christ that I love you. And then I will do X, Y, and Z. It's to go towards unity. But we can only have unity in the body only because we submit to one another in love. You cannot have unity of mind or sympathy or a tender heart or a humble mind if you do not have love. Love for one another. And you cannot have love for one another if you do not love Christ. It's impossible. You need to love Christ first. And if you love Him, you will love your brother and sister. 1 John 4 is all about that. He says you cannot say you love God But hate your brother. It's impossible. That math equation cannot be solved. You need to love Christ, and if you love him, you will love one another. And then through that, it will express itself through unity in mind, sympathy, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, this unity is not uniformity are always agreeing on the same things. But it is, to co- it, it is for cooperation in diversity. We should always, 100%, stand firm and be united in the gospel truths. Yes, Jesus was born of a virgin. Yes, Jesus is the God man, the perfect man. He's the only man that can save you, a sinner, dead in your trespasses. You are only saved through grace and faith. That is it. We cannot disagree on those things. But, should we play drums in the church? I don't know. Yes. Should we partake in the Lord's Supper every Sunday? I don't know. Verdict's out. Those things, especially on the color of the carpet or the building color, That in the past have split churches, trust me. Those things, but the gospel truths, those things cannot be disagreed on. And that is what Peter is saying. He says, no, you need to have unity. Unity on the gospel truths. On the bare essentials of Jesus. And Peter argues that through mutual submission, there is unity. God. I mean, I don't like drums, but ninety percent of the church do. Well, then I'll sing with a joyful heart, even though they play drums. And I love drums. It's just an example. But we have to have unity in mind. Think of one another. why does Peter focus on mutual submission for unity? Well, it's biblical. We read in John 17, 21, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, when Jesus prayed for His disciples, and that includes you. He says, May all of them be one, like I and you, Father, is one. We need to reflect the unity of the Trinity. Jesus and God the Father is one, and the Holy Spirit, they're all one God. And if we belong to them, and in Him, Then we should be one. Jesus submitted to the Father. Yet they are one. Acts 4.32 talks about the like-mindedness. They had everything in common. Oh, I see you need something. Hey brother, let me help you. Sister, I see you struggling with something. I want to be with you. Everything was everyone's. Romans 12, verse 4 and 16, we are called to one body, one life, one mind as a church. We are called to submit to one another. But family, I want to ask you, how are you doing in this light? Where are you with regards to submitting to one another? In unity, driving unity. How can we, a bunch of sinners, submit to one another? Because it's difficult. I always tell my church, I know that I'm a sandpaper person. Believe it or not, but not everybody in my church likes me. I rub them up the wrong way sometimes, just because I've got a sandpaperish personality. But that's fine. They don't hate me. They still love me. But how do we do this? I'm joyful to see this, the Lord's Supper, Communion. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Paul says that we need to wait for one another. It's as the body gathers, we need to discern the body of Christ, which is the church. He says, some of you die. Some of you are ill because you are not discerning the body. Now, what he means by that, he says you do not respect the body, the church, as you should. If you are part of Christ, you are part of a body. Because Christ saved you into his family, he has planted you into a church. And that is why you guys are dying. That's why you are falling ill. Because you disrespect the body. You do not have unity. Some of you get drunk. You don't wait for the poor people to eat with you. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 is all about. And he prefers that in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, because of the one bread, you are one body. The bread meaning Jesus Christ. He is the living bread of life. Because you're in Christ, you are part of a body. And if you're part of a body, you need to love the body as you love Christ. Submit to one another. Jesus who joined us together. Shows us the way. Jesus the perfect lamb. The one that sacrificed his life. Think about it. He is king. But he was king seated in the heavenly places. Crowned with splendor. And he said I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to dirty myself by mixing with sinners, dead people, people with disease. I want to die for them because they cannot pay that price. And I know that. And that's why I love them, that I will die for them. Brother, sister, if you do not believe in that, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, seated on the right hand of the Father... If you don't believe in Him, you are lost. You cannot be part of a body. This body, the church. But as soon as you put your faith in Christ, you can have family. You can have joyful fellowship with one another because of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb. Put your faith in Him. Love Him. And then you can love the body and the body can love you. Now, how do we focus on mutual submission for unity? Well, Peter tells us in verse 8, it says, Have sympathy. So, feel the way your brother and sister feels. Caring for someone's joy. I want you to be joyful. But if you cry and you have sorrows, I want to be sorrowful with you. I want to cry with you. I want to experience what you experience. Sympathy. Love. Love. Love the other person as Christ loves you. And if you're honest with yourself, you might have questions about, how can Jesus love me? I'm a sinner. Dirty. But He did. And if He loved you, you cannot dare say, I cannot love my brother and sister. Take the initiative to repair a relationship. It's being loyal to your fellow brother and sister. Outdoing them in showing them honor. Brother, sister, you can choose your friends, but you can never choose your family. And by choosing Christ, Him choosing you, and Him bringing you into this family, you didn't choose this family. God chose them for you. And if you're in Christ, love them says, tender or being compassionate. It's like a good steak, right? Every time I'm here, I talk about food. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love food. But who does not like a tender, juicy steak, right? We need to be tender to one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Think the best of one another. Not, ooh, she looked at me like that. Right? I think they mentioned my name in that group. What did they talk about? No. Maybe they were praying for you. <laughs> who knows? Be humble. Consider someone more important than yourself, and that's very countercultural. We can never be united if we are not humble. Look at God and see who you are, and look at your fellow brother and sister and say, "You know what?" I'm just the biggest a sinner as you are. I'm going to love you. Serve one another. How about being part of a body? Being part of a body. Decide to say, I'm joining this church, no matter what. I want to love you guys. I want to serve you guys. I'm planting my flag at Heritage Baptist Church. This is where I belong. Join in. Come to the services. Pray with one another. Serve with one another. Sing with one another. And then build unity. If there is anything that is threatening unity in this body, brother and sister, can I urge you to go after that? If you have unforgiveness in your heart, that just breeds bitterness. And bitterness divides. Don't do that. If you have a grudge against someone, go fix it. If you know someone's got a problem with you, maybe of something that you might have done, go speak to them. Be transparent about sin. Don't let the leaven leaven this body. Cut the cancer out, it's worth it. Anyone in the corporate world would know that and know this that it's a dog eat dog world. It's all about me, myself, and I. Call it the unholy trinity. It's all about me. I'm going to step on you to get that promotion. I'm going to devise all kinds of evil talk so that you would not get the promotion. Right? Not in the church. Not in the church. They see life as fighting, living life with selfishness. For us the country we live for each other and for Christ our reaction to relationship is a life on life giving and a self-sacrificing love and life it is to build one another up and support one another in any way when you think of your home hopefully you think of a place of safety I would love to go back home after each work day. I want to be with my family. Even though the dog greets me more warmly than my family. When I... <laughs> but I love going home. It's like, yeah, if I open the door, I know they'll be there. I'm going to sit down and talk with them and see how they did the, the day. Hear of all the struggles and help them sort things out. Take some of the responsibility away from Mom. Hey, I'm here. Don't worry. We are all a family. It's a safe place. That's what the church should be for you, brother and sister. And if your your, your house does not look like that, this is your house. This is where you come to be embraced, to feel loved, to be cared for, to be prepared for the week ahead. I pray that you would feel rejuvenated, ready for the week to come. You know that boss that always swears at me? That colleague that stabs me in the back? Yeah, now I'm ready. Because my family has got my back. In six sleeps, as my kids talk about, in six sleeps, I'm going to be with the family again. They're going to pray for me. And I know they're praying for me right now as I sit on the way to work. They've got my back. This is the place where we find rest, strength, encouragement, and safety. When it comes to a government, when it comes to a boss, when it comes to a spouse back home, this is the place where we find it. When we don't need that kind of atmosphere in the world, we don't need that. But brother, sister, (coughs) wouldn't you agree that it would be tiresome and just tiring you out when you experience all this beating in the world and now you come into the church and you're just like, Ooh, who's got it in for me tonight, today? I just, no. Yeah, you embrace people. You give them the fellowship. You give them the prayer. You love one another. You are being restored just here. And I belabor the point of unity because now Peter goes further in giving them another reason for unity. That's the second characteristic of uh, verse 9a. The power for Unity. So we need to stand firm and conquer, basically. Peter draws our attention back to what he said in in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus saved all of you, those that are in Christ Jesus, for a purpose. You've got a job to do. He's urging the church to be united. Because through unity and mutual submission, you are strengthened to not repay evil for evil. Or to revile when you are being reviled at. What did Jesus do? So they spat in His face and He spat back. They hit Him in the face and He hits back. No. No. They spat, and he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. They crucified him. They stabbed him in the back, his disciple. They deserted him. He experienced the pain. He went as far as experiencing the rejection of the Father for you. He did not revile back. He did not repay evil for evil. Otherwise, none of us would have been here. No. He submitted to the Father. And he says, brother, sister, if you are in me as I am in you through his spirit, I expect the same of you. Don't revile or go back. It is through our unity that we can do what Peter says in verse 11 of uh, chapter 2. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Just by the way, that's a big theme in 1 Peter as well. We do not belong in this world. Our best life is yet to come. Unlike other false prophets says that our best life is now. But he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. I know what it's like. I was in corporate. Let me tell you a story. There was a guy I I worked with. He was my boss. And on a weekly basis, he would sabotage me. So I managed malls, all kinds of malls, and he would literally go into the bathroom, block the toilets, and he knew which block would block the main drainage system. And then he'll make me go unblock the drains of a mall. Some of you get that. Listen, uh, sorry, can't we just call the plumbers? We've got a contract with it? No. You go unblock that drain. Okay, I'll go and block the drain. Until the security showed me that he's actually going into the bathrooms once a week to block the toilets. Ugh. Right? Then he went as far, locked the doors, changed the lock so that my key won't work, then I can't do my job, and then he accuses me with his boss. Tommy can't do his job. He didn't do X, Y, and Z. But I can't get into the room! You changed the locks. How do you know that? He actively sabotaged me. I went to some brothers in the church. I asked them, brothers, you need to pray. Because I'm going to punch this guy. (laughs) And lose my testimony. And they prayed and they prayed. And a month later, my boss, his boss, contacted me and said... Hey, Tommy, um, we, we need you desperately at another mall. We're going to transfer you. <laughs> that was my first reaction. But after I put up down the phone, I realized, Hey, the Lord delivered me. Not just from an evil man, but He delivered me from losing my testimony in front of that man. That man would curse God in my face. Why do I tell you this? It's because of the grace of God that I was in a healthy church that prayed for me saying, God, deliver your son. Protect him from a bad testimony. And God delivered me. Praise to God. He answers prayers, but He uses the body. Can you see the unity of the body? But now Peter goes further. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but bless. And all God's people say, it's good and well, Tommy, that uh, if someone spits in my face, I'll wipe it off and I'll turn my back and I'll walk away. I didn't punch him in the face. But Peter says, no, that's not good enough. You need to bless that person. Isn't that a bit much? No. No. I mean, it's difficult enough not to slap someone. Now you want me to bless that person? Really? But there's good reason for that. Listen to Matthew 5, verses 10 to 11. It says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you. Isn't that wonderful? Blessed are you. But now we need to just draw a line here. It's not blessed are you because you stood up for yourself. You are this ugly person at work. Just, you're a sinner. You need to go to, you're going to go to hell. You need to repent. Oh, this guy is just, and then you get persecuted. No, it's when you stand up for truth. You stand up for Jesus. When you get persecuted then, you are blessed. When this guy curses God in your face and you say, Colleague, I feel sorry for you. Because you're not in God's family, I'm going to pray for you. What? Just have that mind in you to say he actually spat in God's face, not in yours. Blessed are you. A great illustration is Acts 16, where Paul and Silas they were in the in the prison in Philippi, right? Rat infested, beaten up, cold, wet, hard floor. How did they react? Oh, if I get my hands on you, Mr. Jailer. Right? No. They prayed. They sang. They built each other up. They had fellowship. And what happened? Doors flung wide open. Three are you. You can go. Then the jailer said, Oh, I'm going to kill myself. The prisoners have escaped. No, 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 no. We're still here. We're still here. Don't worry. And what happened? the jailer got saved his household got baptized and a church started in Philippi. can you see the way we react towards the world's persecution because of jesus is a way of evangelism we show people christ in the way we react when we are being reviled or being beaten up for his sake believer we have been called by god to bless others Even though they persecute us. So that they would inherit the blessing of eternal life. I don't know about you. But I'm super joyful and thankful that I am a believer. Uh, Jesus saved me. Through showing me grace. Pulling me out of darkness into the marvelous light. Giving me life. Because I was dead in my trespasses. Cursed. Enemy of God. And God said. Tommy, I choose you. Come. Come into my family. And bonus, he planted me into a church. A healthy church that loves me. Don't don't you want that for another person? Broken, sad, depressed, no hope in life. Minister to them as they persecute you. And that brings us to our last characteristic, verses 9b-12. The prize of unity. Stand firm and win. Mutual submission does not come naturally. And that's what Peter writes about in in verse 11 that we read now. It said, we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against us. It's so easy to react when you are being reviled against. So easy. How dare you say that of me? I did my job. I was not late. Or whatever the excuses. No. Be that person of not revile when you are reviled against. And that's why it takes suffering to pursue it. Same goes for not re- returning evil for evil. But this is our calling as believers. We need to fight that natural fleshly reaction of I'm going to get back at you. We are called to do this for a prize. Because God calls us to be part of His family. He called us into this job. A job of fighting the flesh. That natural tendency, the reaction of sin. You were saved, you got a job, and you'll get a prize. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 verses 12 to 16 in this section. And in the psalm, David reminds the believers to fear God. To be obedient in doing what is right. That is what David is writing in the Psalm 34. It's a beautiful Psalm. You can go read it this afternoon. But he's saying, fear God. Do what is right because who God is. We need to know who God is. Be obedient to Him. And because of this, the Lord hears the cries of the righteous. And He's standing against those that are doing evil. Now just a a quick one. We should not... uh, Confuse ourselves with works of righteousness and works to be saved. We cannot be saved by our works. So if you think, Lord, I'm doing what you are doing. I'm obedient and that's why you can save me. Uh, Wrong. Buzzer, gone. No, no, no. You are saved because Jesus died for your sin. He called you into his family. But because he's done this, you're saved. Oh, I want to serve you. I want to fight my flesh. I want to do good to others. It's because Jesus is in you. The suffering of God's people, their ultimate deliverance is to lead godly lives. And that's the evidence of the blessing. In verse 10, the good days, Peter refers to, is the one day, the eternal life of salvation. It points to the anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. But there's an already but not yet. So sure, we are waiting for His return. But isn't it wonderful to serve the Lord right now? There's still a joy because we are in Jesus right now. So there's all right already and not yet. But as Peter indicated in verse 9, we need to have this mindset. That we need to focus on Jesus to influence our lives right now. Instead of repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, you need to keep your tongue behind the bars. Keep your mouth shut. Because that just stirs people up. If you speak, if you speak evil or revile against them. Peter is saying that if you want to see good days, guard your mouth, fight the flesh, do what is right. Right. Today, you will be with God in paradise. That should be our ultimate focus. Focus on that and let that encourage your heart to fight the good fight. Now, we should not confuse all of this. We do these things because we're in Christ Jesus, as I said. But saying that, if you are in Christ Jesus, this is an obligation. If you are saved by grace... You should be doing these things. When God saves you, you are to do good works. And this blessing is not earned by performance. We've said that already. But we are called to do good works. It's not an optional extra. It's an obligation. These are the essentials of Christian living. When we live according to God's calling... He will gloriously supply the grace to do these things. Not to revile, not to repay evil, and to love the brothers and sisters. As I start off, I'm sometimes difficult to love. Ask my wife. But the Lord graciously gives her the love and the grace and the mercy to love a sinner like me. And that is what Peter is saying. If you have experienced the grace and the mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ, You can fight these urges to to speak out or or to backbite or to devour. We can fight this. So the good days come to people that have a controlled tongue, turning away from evil and seek peace. We are peacemakers. But now in verse 11, Peter continues linking it to the blessedness in verse 9. We need to turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. A believer's life isn't one of passivity. Believers must reject evil and pursue goodness. It's an activity. It's goodness. And it's not simply happening. You need to do it. Every Sunday morning, I make pancakes for my family. Big flapjacks. With homemade servants. Delicious. And food again. Sorry. Anyway. So as I flip the pancakes, inevitably I burn my finger. I get distracted because I go through my sermon notes or my Bible hour notes or whatever it is. And I burn my finger. What do you think my reaction is? Just, ah. No, it's, ah. There's an action to that reaction, right? Or there's a reaction to that action. So as soon as you get burnt, you pull away. That's exactly what Peter is saying. You need to pursue it. It's an obligation. There's an action. I want to turn away from sin. I know that's going to burn me. I'm going to regret that. So I'm turning away from that. It's like a burning hand. Take it off. It all ties up in the mouth. Verses 9 and 10. These good days, this peace will only be preserved if believers do not insult or revile one another. And again, that's pursuing the unity in the church. Guard your mouth. In verse 12, it's clear that the Lord's favor is on those who live righteously. And we know we can only live righteously because of Jesus Christ. But there's an activity there. Jesus' ears are open, as Psalm 34 says and what Peter quotes here. When you live righteously, when you live in the light of Jesus... His ears are open to your prayers. Isn't that wonderful? This blessing of knowing that even though you are being persecuted or being reviled against, Jesus paid it all. It's like my friends, when they pray, God's ears were open to their prayers and He delivered me. Now, I don't want to sound like a prosperity preacher. It might not happen for you. God might have a a purpose in your suffering where you are at that moment. But don't lose hope. Focus on Christ. Put your trust in Him. And find your identity in Him. And as soon as you lift your eyes up, your eyes move away from your problem. Come to church. Gather with the saints. Commit to this body. And your attention will be drawn away from your trouble. Now, there's a contrast with those that are righteous and turning away from sin and those that are wicked and turning away from the Lord. For those that are righteous, the face and the ears of the Lord are towards them and open. But for those that are rejecting Christ, Jesus, I don't want you to be Lord over my life. I want to engage my sin. If His eyes are towards those that are righteous and His ears are open. What's going to happen to those that are turning away from Him? His ears are closed. And His eyes of judgment are on those that are not in Christ Jesus. If you are one of those today sitting here hearing these words, can I urge you to turn away from your sin? Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can comfort you. That can encourage you. That hear your prayers. And that looks after you. His eyes of comfort is on you. That is where you find safety. is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why Peter is saying that when we guard the unity in the church. When you win the evil. You are in a safe place. When you pursue good. When you turn away from sin. When you seek peace and pursue it. There's a blessing. A blessing of peace with God. You will see good days. The face of the the Lord is towards you. His ears are open. Don't pay back evil for evil or revile. Because God's got your back. He's with you always. One of my favorite verses, and it gets repeated throughout the Old Testament, is that God says, I'm the Lord your God. I will never leave you nor forsake you; He's always with us. We all know that it's only possible because of what we see in chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. It says, He committed no sin, neither was the seed found in his mouth. That's Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By His wounds you you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. That's Jesus. It's because of His work that we have a body that we can comfort and take care of one another. That we can fight the good fight and not revile or pay back evil for evil. And through His grace, mercy and power. We can do all these things. For His glory. But also to win people for His kingdom. So as we heard the story of the Father that taught His sons to stand together. Let us hear from Peter. Let us stand together so that we can be strengthened Against the world that wants to hurt us. But also for those that are lost to come in to the glorious kingdom. Family, can I urge you to fight the temptation of the flesh. To drive away division in this body. Let us work together and stand together for God's glory. And for our strength to suffer well in this world. Until the ultimate prize is given to us when Jesus comes again. Let us pray. Our glorious God, we pray that you would help us. Help us to guard our mouths. Help us to focus on the eternal gift of salvation. Help us to not revile when people revile back to us. Help us to react well for their sake in coming into the kingdom and all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.